1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of the hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Steve McConnell, and I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Palms. And uh, we have been uh, taking a journey over the last several weeks through the great biblical story, kind of beginning in Genesis and making our way through to Revelation, and uh, last week we departed from that. It was Reformation Sunday. I was up here in a kilt. Aren't you glad that's over? <laughs> and so now we are returning back to the narrative lectionary, and we're picking up in a season of the prophets. Um, we're getting ready to make our way into Advent, hard to believe. We're a month away from Advent which puts us into the season of the prophets, because the prophets were the ones who, uh, in, in Israel's story, were the ones who were not only uh, challenging Israel to live the way that God wanted them to live, but also was the ones, they were the ones looking ahead and wondering about what God's message of hope was for Israel, especially as they're going through life's difficult times. And I know none of you have ever been through life's difficult times, so that's a joke. Um, and so we listen perhaps even with more attentiveness to the, to the prophets and wondering what it is that they might have to say to us as we go through life's challenges. And today is one of those great stories where we get to experience with one of the prophets one of the difficult times of life. So to that end, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and grace in our life. We thank you that you are the one who is with us in the storm. 
you are the cornerstone, and we're grateful that we have something upon which to stand. We pray that you will uh, allow these words to point to the word that was just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but there are certain times in the day that I prefer over other times in the day. There are certain readings on the clock that I look at with greater enthusiasm than other readings on the clock. For example, I like it when the clock reads six o'clock. Morning or evening, I like six o'clock in the morning because it's, I'm a morning kind of guy. I like kind of when the day gets going, time to get out of bed, tackle the world, get tackled by the world. I like six o'clock in the evening because it's generally the end of the work day. Work is kind of slowing down. It's time to pack up for the day unless you have evening meetings. I like nine o'clock because nine o'clock in the morning means you're fully awake and the world is fully awake and you're going about your business. And I like nine o'clock in the evening because I'm usually home by then and that's when, you know, the world is starting to think about settling in for the night. I like 12 o'clock because 12 o'clock either means lunch or midnight. So I'm either feeding my face or I am dead asleep. But I'm not a big three o'clock guy. Three o'clock is not my favorite time of the day. Three o'clock is not my favorite time of the day because if it's in the afternoon, it means I've just digested my lunch and despite how many cups of coffee I've had, I'm still starting to feel drowsy and I find myself doing whatever I can to keep myself awake. All I wanna do is kind of curl up on the couch and take a nap because, but because I have this thing called a job, I don't typically do that. Typically. <laughs> I do take some inspiration, though, from the fact that Winston Churchill took a nap every afternoon at 3 o'clock during World War II and still managed to win the war. Of course, most of those were induced by alcohol, but we won't go there, so. <laughs> but my least favorite time on the clock is 3 a.m. I am not a big 3 a.m. fan because if I'm looking at the clock and it says 3 a.m., I am awake and I don't want to be awake. And when I'm awake, I am often thinking. And when you're thinking at 3 a.m., you are thinking about all sorts of things, right? Your brain sort of starts going into this hyperdrive. At 3 a.m., you begin thinking about all sorts of things. You begin thinking about what you have to do the next day. You begin thinking about what's in your bank account. You begin thinking about that leak in your roof. You begin thinking about what your doctor told you when you last saw her. At 3 a.m., you hear sounds in the house you've never heard before. At 3 a.m., you wonder about what your children are up to and what's going to become of them. At 3 a.m., you wonder if Michigan will ever beat Ohio State. <laughs> At 3 a.m., you wonder when the bull market will cease being the bull market. At 3 a.m., you entertain doubts that you never entertained before. At 3 a.m., you are left alone with yourself and with your thoughts. Nobody there to distract you from your thinking and your feeling and your worrying and your wondering. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you sleep like a rock every night, and if that's the case, I don't like you. <laughs> but if there should ever come a time when you do, in fact, wake in the middle of the night, and you toss and turn, and your mind starts going a million miles a minute, well, that puts us, as it turns out, in pretty good biblical 
company. Lots of things happen in the middle of the night in the Bible. God does a lot of speaking in the middle of the night. Jacob has his famous dream in the middle of the night. Pharaoh has his dreams in the middle of the night. Samuel, as we learned a couple weeks ago, hears God's voice in the middle of the night. Joseph marries betrothed, hears the angel speak to him in the middle of the night. The wise men are warned to go home another way in the middle of the night. Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus in the middle of the night. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweats drops of blood in the middle of the night. As lonely and as anxious and as frustrating as 3 a.m. can be sometimes, maybe most of the time, it is the middle of the night that perhaps gives us the greatest chance to hear the quiet whispers of God. Consider one, Elijah, the great prophet of Israel. But, but in this story this morning, Elijah doesn't feel so great, right? He feels the burden of the world is on his shoulders. What he feels is that he's being chased by his enemy. What he feels is that he's all alone. What he feels is that maybe he and the world would be better off if he could somehow end it all here. He's tired, he's lonely, he's hungry, and he, he is at the end of his rope. And he runs away, and when he can go no further, he finally collapses, and he begins to fall asleep. And before he knows it, in the middle of the night, an angel is waking him and feeding him some breakfast. And Elijah gets up and eats, and then he goes back to sleep again. And sure enough, a little later, the angel wakes him again and feeds him breakfast. Get up, says the angel, get up. Get up and eat, or otherwise their journey will be too much for you. And so Elijah gets up, has something to eat, and the angel says, okay, Elijah, let's keep moving. Let's just put one step in front of the other. And so Elijah puts one foot in front of the other and for the next 40 days makes his way over to the Mount of Horeb and makes his way into a cave. And there, the Bible says, he spent the night again. And sure enough, it is in the middle of the night that Elijah awakens again with the world on his shoulders and uncertainty of the future commanding his thoughts. It is in the middle of the night that Elijah feels all by himself, all alone. Now, mind you, this is the great prophet of God. This is, this is the great prophet. This is God's man. Great prophets of God don't feel alone, right? They always feel the wonderful presence of God, right? They wake up at 3 a.m. and they just turn over and fall back asleep, right? No worries for the prophets. No, we could never be more mistaken for if there's anything the Bible teaches us, if there's anything that church history teaches us, it is that the prophets and the saints, the prophets and the saints are perhaps the ones who most experience the lonely and terrible nights of the soul. Following Mother Teresa's death, they found her diaries. And in this, her diaries, the diaries of this woman of great compassion and service to the poor, they expected to find in those pages, you know, great testimonies to the presence and power of God. But what they found in those pages were years and years and years of worry and fear and of feeling the absence of God. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great martyr to the faith and leader of the Nazi resistance after months in a Nazi cell, working hard to put on this outward appearance of calm and strength for the rest of the, for the, rest of the prisoners to see, to be encouraged by. But in the quiet of his cell, he writes that he is, quote, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woebegone weakling. C.S. Lewis, after losing his wife, confesses to a long stretch of time that in the middle of the night he yearned to hear the voice of God, but all he could hear was a door slammed in his face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. The great prophets and saints experienced what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. So what are we to say about these things? Well, maybe perhaps at 3 a.m., when your mind is racing and your fears are swirling and your worries are advancing, perhaps you can take comfort in the fact that you are in the company of saints. You have joined the human race and you are experiencing what it means to be human and you are now taking that journey, that spiritual journey of faith for what is faith unless it is preceded by and often joined by our fears and our doubts and our worries? In fact, it is in the middle of our fears and our doubts and our worries when we are perhaps most eager to hear the voice of God, when we are most desperate to feel the presence of God. If there is ever a time when we are apt to listen as a saint, it is at 3 a.m., because it is at 3 a.m. when the world is finally quiet, quiet enough for, perhaps for us to hear the still, small voice, the still, small voice of God. It's at 3 a.m. when we're not checking our email, when we're not scrolling Facebook, when we're not making our laundry list, when we're not texting our friends. It is the sheer silence of 3 a.m. that we can have the presence of mind to finally listen. And what are we listening for? Well, maybe what we're most listening for is that still small voice to remind us of all those times in the past when we felt overwhelmed, when we felt anxious, when we felt doubtful, all those times when we wondered if we could go another step, that in those times, precisely in those times, God was somehow present, and somehow we found the strength to put one foot in front of the other. In other words, in those times, angels came. Whether we saw them or not, whether we felt them or not, whether we heard them or not, angels came, and they got us up, and they fed us, and they gave us rest, and they encouraged us to keep moving. The still, small voice in the middle of the night is there to remind us that even in the whirlwind of our thoughts and fears, somewhere close by, there hovers an angel. John Claypool, the great preacher, tells of a time when his little daughter had been diagnosed with leukemia. And after a brief mission, remission, she had relapsed. It was an awful time from which she did not recover. And Claypool talks about one moment in the middle of the night sitting next to her hospital bed, and he heard her ask, Dad, have you asked God when the leukemia will go away? And what did he say? 
What a terrible question for a father to have to answer. Talk about the doubts and the fears visiting you in the middle of the night. Claypool said that he told her that, yes, he's been asking God a lot, but he hasn't heard the answer. Later, a friend asked, so, Reverend, where was God that night? Fair question. And the preacher said, you know where it says in the Bible, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. He said, you know, sometimes God's greatest strength comes in our greatest weakness. And for me, he said, God was there that night just to get me up, just for me to put one foot in front of the other. Oh, not to fly with eagles. Oh, no, not to run without weariness. No, the great miracle that night was that I walked and I didn't faint. That's where God was that night. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up, for the journey will be too long for you. So the clock strikes three, and we are awake with ourselves, our thoughts, our worries, our fears. Well, welcome to the company of saints and the presence of angels. And there doesn't need to be an earthquake for God to speak. There doesn't need to be a gale of wind for God to speak. There doesn't need to be a burning fire for God to speak. No, maybe most of all, there just needs to be some silence. Just a moment for us to know that even with all of my thoughts, all my worries, all my doubts, in the silence, the still small voice, and an angel, who will do for me what has been done for me all my life. Enough strength for the day, enough strength for the night, one foot in front of the other. Let us pray. You are a great God, and we rejoice, O oh Lord, that even when we wonder about your presence, whether whether we are occupied with our thoughts and our worries and our fears, that you abide with us, that you are in the wings whispering to us, and that you are hovering above us, giving us that which we need. We pray this with great gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.